Is it time to talk about the video? Is it? I think it's time to go over the video with a fine tooth comb, uh, where my Sparknotes knowledge of Demian will come in handy. So yeah, to explain the premise, um, as we said, um, Blood, Sweat and Tears is the start of the Wings era for BTS. The Wings era is characterized by these like dualistic light and dark struggles. And takes a lot of its source material out of Herman Hesse's, like, I think, 1911 uh, novel. Herman Hesse being, a, like, a German author. Uh, 1919, I think. 19, sorry. All right. Um, it would make sense. It makes it... Or at least that's the, trans- that's the translation I'm looking at. Uh, don't worry, you're absolutely right, because the book makes explicit reference to the First World War. It'd be slightly weird if it was written before it. <laughs> uh, I mean, spoilers, it ends on the First World War, but anyway. Yes. So, yeah, uh, the 1919 book by Herman Hesse. Um, he has this book called Demia, um, the story of Emil Sinclair's youth, um, a sort of coming-of-age story that, for some bizarre reason, I couldn't tell you specifically why, has enormous traction in Korea as a piece of European like literature, um, more so than you would probably expect given its profile in the west mm-hmm. um it is a story about um a guy a young man called emil's sort of emergence and growing up building roman being the sort of coming of age story of that like german romantic tradition um the relationship he has to max demia who is the like uh, angel slash devil on his shoulder childhood friend like psychoanalytically complexly related mirror uh, who knows this deeply is deeply homoerotic ob- object of affection object of desire yeah and desire yeah <laughs> um i'm not gonna let this go without putting the gay in it all right no like, no we're, we're better off for it that way <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah so we have a story here that's about again you see all the links back to the early stuff the like the where BTS was a a group founded with the explicit like points of discussion in the hip hop stuff being the like, oh we're the big kids at school we're gonna make a path for ourselves stop giving us so much homework we know how to take care of ourselves we're gonna make it in the big bad world, mm-hmm. and then stage two is the very melodramatic hyper almost like violent, um, intensely young adult like oh my god, we're literally seeing depictions of, like, suicidality and intense um, domestic violence happening in the music videos, because that's the kind of story they want to tell. Mm-hmm. And then the move in Wings is to put it on a more metaphorical level, to have, like, rather than it be, like, internal psychological struggles, it's at the level of, like, internal light and dark, and put it on this sort of weird metaphysical level of, of um, conflict. And you have... In this music video, you have Jin personifying the sort of like potentially fallen angel and V personifying the sort of like potentially like, I don't know, the the demonic intrusive force that reveals the broken nature of the world. Who fucking knows? I don't know exactly either. But there's this like undercurrent um, sitting, sitting underneath this of like trying to express duality, emotional complexity, coming of age but on a more metaphysical level than we would have been dealing with if we were dealing with 
um, like the explicit depiction of the stuff as we were in the previous era. So this is where Wings are sitting. Yeah. It's a fun combination. There's a lot to go through. I say fun because like it is very pleasurable to dig through all of the stuff and to explore uh, and to relate or to find which parts of it can be related to. So let's jump in then. I mean, the first thing, the first thing I notice I want to say is the letterboxing. Oh, yeah. Um, White, widescreen beyond all widescreen. Well, actually, honestly, I should say the very first thing is that big hit intro. Which I... <laughs> is, is very unique to them and absolutely 110%, I think, styled on the way that film trailers are styled and the way that you get like, the, the little animated logo at the start of a movie. Like, that's mm-hmm. what that is. Yeah, no, I absolutely get a feel that. Mm-hmm. There is a certain cinematic quality to the, the way the big hit do it. But also they do have the tagline music and arts for healing, which is just like, on some level, kind of amusing to see. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. So the thing we start with is, so the music video itself only really starts at about one minute into the runtime. And the first minute is the sort of introductory thing. We see, as we talked about earlier, the members of BTS walking into a sort of artist, like gallery slash mansion thing. Mm -hmm. Lots of classical sculpture and lots of like Renaissance era art. And they're like Mm -hmm. hanging out. Like, again, the clothing choices are college shirt. It's not explicitly like pushing into like period wear, but it's very much just like, no, we're much more formal. We're much more like romantically tinged. Um, very and, detailed, very yeah intricate. I mean, look at Jin's collar. Yeah, it's it much more textured. And where, like as we talked about, the previous era was like minimalist, modernist, like about being young adults and all the things that young adults will like. And that had grown out of like streetwear fashion stuff, trying to be a hip hop group. Like there is like a big disjoint here in the the approach that they're taking in the the visual language. Mm-hmm. Um, we get the members sort of hanging out. Um, uh, looking <laughs> looking at the art, and Jin is obsessed with a Renaissance painting. It is The Fall of the Rebel Angels by Peter Bruegel. Um, which immediately, by the way, cuts to a shot of them arrayed on a couch, uh, behind which is a neon sign that reads The Temptation. So... Yeah. Like, they're not being at all subtle with the, like, biblical and uh, angelic allusions in this music video. <laughs> Well, okay, it's just the tempt, but, like, you can kind of guess what comes at the end of that. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the music that's playing at this point is a Bach Kyrie. being one of the many pieces of liturgical music you get in old uh, holy choral music um, you will have like a set of about usually six um, choral pieces that correspond to different parts of the liturgical service 
um, uh, what does the curate translate to? I don't think in and of itself it's important. Which, by the way, is going to be a through line in all of the classical, well, all the Western literary touchstones we bring up. Like, we don't think any of them are in and of themselves vital, but what is important is the effect of them all being there together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Curia eleison is Greek effectively for Lord have mercy upon us. Um, and, uh, it is a extremely well known piece of music, but it, it is not in and of itself as important as the effect of having liturgical, holy church music to put it in the broadest terms <laughs> with ominous Latin chanting in the back. That's its effect, right? It, do- it really doesn't matter that it is one of the most, like, incredibly well-known, beautiful piece of classical music. It's about the effect that it is providing within the context of this particular turn towards... particular turn that BTS have taken for yeah, this. like, theological illusion yeah. and, like, moving the conflict onto a sort of more metaphysical theological plane of... Mm-hmm. Um, so we have that climactic moment of Jin looking at the art we have the music video moving inside to this mansion set mm-hmm. and I feel like it should be almost absurd that all of that is then set against this extremely modern pop track but mm. it really isn't no not at all it works um, and again this is like I think if we had to loop back to the music that like part of the point of this, the, of the track itself is to be like, so it is surprisingly subtle and subdued. It's surprisingly like contained. It doesn't like explode with EDM stuff in the same way that it could do. And again, like you could point again, as we did to like major laser and that like new emergence of ways of having energy and pop music without climax effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think they very effectively nail that. But a thing you can do alongside that is like it allows you to fit it in with a much wider space of aesthetics. Uh, and yeah, so a whole series of um, the sort of like images that we provided are individual sets that reflect. I don't know if it would be individual situations or like aspects or just like interesting things for each of the members. Like, yeah, in my in my mind, I call them different moods. Yeah, the the the, the different registers that it hits. So like yeah. the sitting on a balcony above a pool of water. I think um, uh, sugar sitting on a chair in a room mm-hmm. uh, with a green gas in it and like observational glass below, above and below it. RM's got the sort of sitting room with hunting stuff above it, above and below it. Um, mm-hmm. And as you go through the music video, you just get the like different sets for different moments and spaces. Um, and in fitting with everything else, you know, it's very lush, very dense with detail. Even, even as it's matched against like cuts that are too quick for you to really take in what they are individually. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you know that there's a lot. Just there's a lot of stuff presented towards you, but the lighting and the focus and the way your eye is focused is always on the people. Um, and to light and silhouette and shadow, which again makes sense considering the thing they are drawing on Demian is a novel that is very, very interested in talking about light and dark and 
breaking out of the confines of society. But again, I don't necessarily think that the link between the song and that novel goes further than that. The, and the, the link is explicit because, as we say, the um, where in the studio track you kind of end the bridge with this high note, almost a squeak. I think it's human. In the music video, instead of that high note, it everything drops, and you just get uh, you know away from this very kind of lush background into this red on black monotone silhouette with RM reading out a passage from Demian. He too was a tempter. He too was a link to the second. The evil world with which I no longer wanted to have anything to do. And then you get Suga playing uh, the uh, Passacaglia in D minor. Shoutouts to my friend Noel who plays the organ for identifying it. <laughs> which is referenced in Demian. Mm -hmm. um, as you get maybe the most clear bit of plot. Yeah, so what we get here is the members running out of the chapel um, while Jin is chapel lingering. Chapel museum viewing room, yeah. Cha sorry, chapel museum area. Yeah. Um, well, so to be clear, the just before the climax where the song breaks down, we've had all this visual imagery about blindness or being blinded. We've had um, a blindfold being placed over, uh, over Jimin and Sugar both. We've had... Um, we've had hands covering Jin's face and slowly being pulled away. Um, there's a lot of people in positions of like falling. Uh, there's uh, Jim is holding an apple opposite Suga. Th th like again, if the key motifs are like biblical allusions and like uh, like angels in their relationships, and then like the explicit text of the Demia, which is about this like great metaphysical struggle that may or may not be about angels. Um, we get this moment where um, Jin, uh, Jin and V are lingering in the museum space. Um, we get a, what looks like a drape being pulled up over, of, over a statue. Mm -hmm. um, and V covers Jin's eyes. And then when he opens them, we see the statue in the, uh, in the museum space. And we get revealed that, no, it's not a statue that the, the cover is being pulled off. It's V himself. And again, with the homoeroticism, um, Jin walks up to the statue. <laughs> Jin walks up to the statue, strokes its cheek, and, like, closes in for what could be a kiss. It totally is. Um, it's, it's a kiss, you know. But the, the point is when Jin is walking towards the statue to kind of show... It, it's, shot, it's framed in such a way that it looks like the wings could be protruding from his back. Yes. So, like, they're not being subtle about the, hey, maybe they're fallen angels thing. 
yeah. at all. Or, like, V is the, the one to be saved. Jin, uh, sorry, Jin is the one to be saved. V is the sort of, like, tempter or demon or whatever it might be. And V turns around and gives the, this, like, kind of, like, unhinged smile to the camera. And then the song comes back in and there is this explosion of color, by which I mean the statue starts weeping, colored tears. Ditto Jimin. And that's how the song ends. Oh, with Jin staring through a mirror as his face cracks. As a statue might. Da, da, da. Um... Yeah, the, we've done this big rundown with the basic idea being that, like... So, first of all, it has taken two minutes, 20 seconds to try tell some sort of allegorical story in the middle of its music video. Which is mad. It's absurd. Like, who the fuck does this? Like, even nobody, the, the heights of narrative kind of uh, ambition that it aspired to was a shit gag. Yeah, this, you're not fucking Thriller. Thriller took 10 minutes to make its gag. Um, but the, um, the, the point is like quite successfully, like quite intelligibly, like just through the visual language, through the like, oh, we're putting them in those clothes, in that environment, with that art, with that music, you get a sense of what it's meant to feel like without even needing to have, in our case, initially having read the Demia to having, uh, read the, um, like explicit, uh, like marketing blurb about what the music video was about, even without having engaged with the fan culture initially. But what inevitably it does is it forces you to be like, oh shit, what's going on? What relationship do these people have to each other? What does that fucking mean? Why is this person an angel or are they not an angel? Or who is it that was an angel? Yeah. In, on, on either level, either it's just one of the most like aesthetically coherent and powerful music videos you could imagine, or... It's an invitation into, like, try and theorycraft your way through their world. And in both senses, it's just, like, an invitation to, to engage with a K-pop group in a way that almost no one bothers engaging with a K-pop group. <laughs> and, yeah. like, that's a tug that I felt immediately watching this video, like, four years ago, without even having, like, known BTS as a group particularly well, without even understanding them as a phenomena. It was just, like, very clear that, like... Whatever is going on with BTS is like a sort of textual richness to it and a sort of understanding of, its, of the like moving parts of its, of its aesthetic in a way that almost no one else does. Like no one else can marshal all the like literary allusions, the artistic and visual and uh, like musical references. Spread out over so many places uh, in so many ways for you to engage. Yeah, exactly. And then put it into something that actually makes sense as a K-pop music video. Like, there are still, like, like mid-shots of them in their set environments. There are still the occasional, like, close glamour shots of them to, like, sell the performance. There are still, like, choreography shots of them in the middle of the, um, the gallery space. Like, it follows the language to, like... 60 but two-thirds of the time three-quarters of the time and then the rest is there to like indulge in like making sense and linking up all those aspects of like set to performance from like choreography and reference like covered eye moves to 
the motif of the music video, from the motif of the music video to the explicit text of the um, of the the demia they're referencing. And in this and is the way. Sorry, the, the one last thing I would want to say on this point is, and going back to nobody, we said the question we kept coming up against when we were talking about how the Wonder Girls were trying to break into the US or how JYP was break, trying to break into the US to be more accurate was who did they want to be listening to them, right? What For what for whom was all of this stuff done? And and for nobody, it was a real mess. And we talked about this, and we talked about how it felt as if the audience that they were trying to reach was this assumed imaginary audience that would be there if they could do the right steps, right? Yes. And we, mm-hmm. and we, we said uh, that this is something that K-pop is still attempting to do, most notably with uh, SM Entertainment Supergroup Super M that's having its second... That's having its first full-length album second comeback right now, which means the usual gearing up for... Well, okay, it's COVID time, so it's a bit different, but the usual kind of (laughs) album release, uh, media engagement. If they could, they would probably be in the US, you know, making appearances on talk shows. But again, like, who is it that they imagine that they're reaching by going on... by having a segment on Ellen? Is there a single K-pop fan out there in the year of our Lord 2020 who became a K-pop fan because they are, they are an Ellen watcher first and found Super M that way? Surely not. Surely not. Okay, like, okay, in the, vast, in the vastness of human experience, maybe there's one or two, but I, I highly doubt it's a significant group, I'll say. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, but the thing is, like, in, well, I say instead of, I think also, to a great extent, the reason why... BTS and Big Hit didn't do that is that they didn't have the money or the resources or the connections to do this kind of thing. So they had to find a different way. And it turns out that that different way was massively successful for them. But I think that that approach can be best characterized as like they worked on building an audience first and then went, okay, we are now having fans that aren't. They didn't go out and court an, uh, a, a Western audience explicitly they grew one and then when they realized they had one started coming up with ways for them to engage in the BTS universe but it wasn't it wasn't set out and it wasn't set aside and marked as special for them in the way that like signing a deal with Capitol Records is in the way that having all of these English language promotions and releases is like they didn't you know fly out to to uh you know, perform at the Grammys or the VMAs until they were already massively successful. And until they were already getting nominated. <laughs> right, exactly, exactly. They didn't have those Ellen spots, etc. until, again, they were already popular. And, in fact, like, I think one of the more telling things is it turns out big hit uh, in, in response to kind of fan desires to have more English-translated content released a series of videos teaching you basic Korean by using, like, existing BTS content to teach you, like, simple expressions and phrases and grammar. Um, And I feel like that's such a telling way in how they approach international fandom. It's like, if you want to connect with us, we will do what we can to help you connect with us on this level on with what we're doing rather than 180ing what we're doing to try to come 
to what we assume you want. They're right. Like they're like I feel like what makes BTS I think feel different um, because certainly there's a lot of I love a lot of SM groups, but a lot of how they position themselves towards Western viewers feels almost condescending because there is a kind of like assumption of what a Western fan wants out of them that they're trying to fulfill and what that assumption may or may not have any bearing with reality. Who was asking for an Anthem Rock EDM mashup as your title track? Who? Who? On the fucking planet? Um, Yeah, the, the idea of the sort of imagined figure in the record industry is just like... It, it sort of haunts all these like releases like that there's this normative standard that everyone has to work towards that is just sort of assumed to exist that isn't proven necessarily by anyone actually like <laughs> that anyone actually um like going out and being able to point to where those people are and i think fundamentally it's a such a broken idea because evidence says that like that's not actually how it works because like the the, the histories tended to be like well, we have a playbook, but the playbook is always, like, constantly being, like, defeated by all the actual successful stuff. BTS being one case in point. But again, like, like hip-hop's takeover of the charts in the last decade or so being another, like, well, we thought our only audience was, uh, like, uh, black American people. And quite clearly, that's just not true anymore. Um, mm-hmm. So, like, how you sell rap music, how you sell hip-hop, just changes because people like understand that like the fundamentally racist preconceptions about who what music is saleable to who just don't apply if you find the right stuff and the right audiences for it um and that like the understanding being that like there are there are like basic rules that govern the the practices and ideas and understandings of who audiences are within not just K-pop, but any pop. Mm-hmm. And that BTS was sort of a window into like, well, frankly, if you find things that find, or again, I've used this word organic so frequently to describe the, the mechanism by which BTS gained fans. It's the idea that like, there is this sort of like complete lack of differentiation between the, the things the group would have been doing anyway to promote themselves and the like, the the systemic aspect of their promotion the the like ah oh, sorry i yeah the the way i've been thinking about it as you've been speaking is that bts creates for bts fans which we'll call army the things that they do is to make it easy for anyone to become army what they don't do is market towards an imaginary insert adjective here fan does that make sense you they don't court an american market they court english-speaking army they don't court uh i don't know necessarily uh i i suppose like japanese k-pop fans it's people in japan who are kind of into bts already for because they're bts not because they're korean (laughs) like like again I, i keep going back to nobody it's like who are they trying to court korean americans um Americans with an interest in Korea? Is that why they also pushed, like, there was this weird Korean restaurant slash Korean food cuisine initiative that they were made to be a part of? Is that why they partnered with, like, a big chain of Korean grocery markets? Are they trying to tap, like, a Korean-American market? Who is it for? Are they, are they trying to go after fans of the music or, like, fans of the culture? And BTS, like, kind of has an answer. They're like, yeah, we're trying to court people who like us. 
like people who like BTS because they're BTS. I, it, it's it's kind of as simple as that. I mean, when it you, really when it, is, and it, when it comes down to it, that sounds absurdly simple. <laughs> yeah, but it's so interesting because you dig into it, and then you get. I had a coworker once who I said, you know, we're we're working on this project about k-pop and explaining what makes why we love it so much and ask oh you know do you think bts as bts has any staying power or will their fans just latch onto someone else like Billie eilish and in that moment i think i told you about this question and we sat and we're like you know i understand why this person would ask this question but i feel like if you are aware you don't even have to have spent two freaking hours talking about BTS to kind of understand the relationship between BTS and ARMY, like BTS and their fans. That like, That's not how their fandom works. And that's why it's not transferable in that way, right? Like, you don't have to be a K-pop fan to be an ARMY. Like, there is no prerequisite there. But being ARMY doesn't necessarily imply anything about your other... Uh, tastes. I think there might be correlations, obviously, but like as you said, a lot of the appeal of BTS is like, firstly, the songs are great and secondly, there is that kind of unique way of relating to them and what they produce and what they produce is beyond just the music and beyond just the video. It is, like in that sense, yes, it is something special. It is something exceptional. Um... Um, they are a remarkable group. You know, a lot of a lot of places spend a lot of time and money to try to communicate this feeling or um, the message of authenticity and sincerity and conviction. And somehow BTS are just so so good at communicating all of those things in a way that doesn't feel at all forced. Um, it helps, obviously, that like outside of all of the stuff that we've been talking about aside of the music, like you can look at what they've done in certain of, in terms of philanthropic ventures. Um, and it does seem, you know, their hearts are in it. They, they care about what they say. Um, and probably it's sort of a sad comment on the state of things. that This is a thing for which you have to kind of like watch out, but there it is. They are, there is not, they are not by any stretch of the imagination a cynical group, and I think that's what makes it easy to like them. One hundred percent. It's. Oh, I think you think that's exactly it. The like, there's so. Um, there's not a cynical bone. Yeah. In the the like, the, the, it's almost weird linking that back to what we were talking about with how. How do we conceive of what makes this group meaningful to people in terms of the subject matter? Because, like we were saying earlier, that like it's about domestic violence and it's about drug use and it's about friendships going awry. But like in the BTS extended universe, to be clear, uh, like that stuff does not necessarily at all come out in the actual music. Yeah, so like the run video, I think, comes to mind for like having bits of it visually depicted and whatever. Yeah. Yeah, but, but that's um, pretty exceptional now, especially if you look at yeah. the more recent output. In any it's case, sorry. That, it's just that, like, you always still hear the stories about, like, oh, BTS was really helpful for me at a certain point in my life. Like, that isn't me. That I'm not that person. Still, You still hear that. And just, like, thinking through what kind of relationship 
can engender those sorts of feelings. And it's one that is born out of like genuine curiosity and passion that like is a much harder thing to sustain when the primary relation between artist and audience is a financial one where like most K-pop demands that fandom looks like financial transactions as frequently as possible. (laughs) Yeah. That's why, that's why. um, And I, don't know how many of our listeners will have bought a K-pop physical album. That's why the physical album is, even in this day and age of like streaming services and digital stuff, such a interesting physical artifact. Like I bought a few, and because they come in like this exquisite packaging, and they have these collectibles and collectible cards. But even as I bought them, I know that they are an exercise in milking you of as much money as you can, because there will be a version, like literally a different packaging and version of the album even if the content's the same for each member um for each concept for each member the like limited edition photo cards which are literally like playing card size almost like polaroids i guess uh uh uh, uh, selfies or like photos that are supposedly more kind of intimate or personal of each of the band members there will be a set but the selection you get is random to encourage you to buy more or to trade and engage with other fans to flesh out your collection and there will be collectible posters and one of mine came with a pen and there will be a special <laughs> light six. And there's just so much literal, actual stuff that even if you enjoy having it, it is hard to get away from that reminder that like the way the company registers your appreciation for them is by spending your cash. <laughs> and yeah, at some level, like, BTS have, like, as we've just been talking about, like, what their achievement is, is finding new and extraordinary, like, <laughs> extraordinary new ways for people to relate to them as artists, as well as to the, like, process of fandom itself, that, like, the like mm. innovators or innovator commas organic group growth comes just as much from the like ability to form community and communal practices whether that's like translation of um of a like like collective unpicking and theory crafting teaching you how to teaching you how to stream 24 7 for maximum views on the latest music video yeah all of these collective practices like some of them and like very we're cl- not knocking them because it's really impressive because I've seen those posts and it's in like eight different languages within ten minutes of the music video being announced and like detailed instructions for the most technically minded to the you know most kind of layperson accessible method and the organization is happening on so many platforms and it is genuinely inspiring and that's why there is that one Teen Vogue article about like BTS ARMY as Praxis and like that's not a joke yeah I mean it partly is but it's not a joke so when we say not as not a joke is that like quite simply BTS have entirely organically like entirely disconnected from their own artistry like generated one of the most like reliable effective and coordinated international communities and I mean community not in the sort of like abstract shares and identity sense, but in the like actually has meaningful interrelations that connect individuals to each other through like active relation, through like the dissemination of information, through collective practices um, <laughs> that like you could possibly at all pull out. And it's like why you get the absurdity of like police and secret services like decrying the, the, the like the the. the 
how would you K-pop put it? K-pop fandom. A K-pop fandom is a security risk because just like how to get that many people coordinated systemically if they turn their attention to like social justice issues or indeed anything that is not simply like the collective things that are encouraged and built into the parts of K-pop fandom that they're interested in, they can be really damn powerful. And they have been because again, like the K-pop fandom is inevitably incredibly international and um, incredibly like uh, multiracial and multi-ethnic. And because of that, um, it has proven one of the most effective tools in like anti-racist campaigning arsenal is to have like a hyper-digital, hyper-digitally literate, incredibly um, disciplined and incredibly active, massive community of people basically doing at-large activism. And that, like, that kind of process is just, like, one of the aspects that you see that grows out of, like, the thing that BTS has done is capture and construct a community. And that that's, like, a, oh, God, I'm gesturing towards and so near talking about, oh, my God. So there's an idea that floats around some critical readings of nationality and nationhood, that a nation is an imagined community. And that there is some sort of like binding myth that like constitutes who is and isn't a member of this particular community. And mm-hmm. that like that that's like a that's very explicitly in like socio-political and geopolitical terms. And somehow like talking this through, like like uh the the Innovata Commerce nation that BTS pulls out is like explicitly international, but not only that, like has everything about it geared towards encouraging accessibility and like collaborative membership the membership being developed through like collaborative participation in like social practices like it's hard to just become a bts fan by listening to the music videos it's incredibly easy to become a bts fan by like sitting on twitter or tumblr or literally one of like 30 different random social media platforms that all have their home for BTS fans of various descriptions. And that, like, the the sorts of rules about what constitutes... Uh, <laughs> what constitutes a community in that sense aren't just about that sort of, like, imaginary story that people will tell themselves to, about what constitutes that particular community. It's very practical things that like sustain it and build it in practical senses. Like you need people to do the work to do the translations for the international fans. You need people to do the work to like, you don't need people to do the theory crafting for the music video, but that's part of the central way of engaging with it. You don't need people to... um. All I'm gonna say is that the AO3, the AO3 BTS uh, RP uh, <laughs> fanfic, like, is just like, mm. there's oh, a lot God. there. Yeah, I have a friend who's in fan studies and showed me the statistics in like 2016, 17 of how rapidly BTS just overwhelmed AO3 as the most like common subject matter and topic of mm-hmm. fan fiction, and just like again whatever whatever you think about that as content fundamentally like this is all fans finding ways to participate in the construction of the community not through some like arbitrary like arbitrary constructed narrative but through very practical very basic things that they actively do and share with each other and that like fundamentally that's a way of relating that is like 
durable and productive and expansive and inclusive in a way that just like fundamentally no other mode of K-pop interrelation is. Um, yeah. Fandom, fandom, production, any of it. It's just different. I, I think the other, the other kind of like, the point I want to offer is kind of ballast is that as organized and global and international as the reach is, that doesn't necessarily mean we... And, and even if world governments are somehow ascribing political intent to fandom, the thing that defines fandom is fandom and not their political leanings. Like, yes. there yes. is a desire, I think, to... There can be a desire to almost trivialize it by assuming, ah, oh, it's a force for good and blah, blah, blah. Like, no. It can be extremely problematic and shitty, and especially with regards to... Uh, conversations about blackness, like they could be pretty damn anti-black. Like yes, very explicit. It is yeah. it is a known thing, and it's a trend that keeps coming up over and over again. And uh, I would say like anti-black and also colorist to extend it beyond the conversation of like blackness, especially in the context of American cultural borrowings and kind of yeah how that feeds into like global cultural system, especially in music. Um, and also because of the whole recent. Black Lives Matter campaigns and BTS fandom's involvement or not. There's arguments in that. BTS the band also donated to Black Lives Matter. Like, that's another mm-hmm. thing. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's, it's... I, like, I f- don't feel like we have the time right now, genuinely, because we've been talking for a long time and I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> To go into that, but like I don't think we need to. I mean, people have staked people have staked their careers on trying to kind of make sense of and communicate the various dynamics in fandoms, let alone fandoms this huge and this diverse, right? Like Yeah, exactly. We're not in the yeah, position I, to like produce that on an account where fundamentally we were trying to like explain we were how... just trying to talk about blood, sweat and tears and this yeah, happened. But I mean the point is fundamentally like Blood, sweat, and tears is the window into like how did they develop this way of relating to their audience, right? And that's the powerful thing. Um, I think it is exactly that. It's it's the window we get to like all the extended conversations of not only just how do BTS fans relate to the group, but how do any K-pop fans relate to their own group? Like, what is the nature of our own fandom? How does particularly race and language figure into that? And like we can't answer all those questions simultaneously, but um, and I, I but I think the point I hope is coming across is that like there is more to like there is obviously there are there are layers to being a fan. Like obviously you can be a fan because of your appreciation for and uh, affection and 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 kind of fondness for the music and the work. But like it can if you so choose go so far beyond that and that is not a thing to be trivialized or taken lightly like it's complicated and um complex and fascinating and just because the target audience happens to be in the imagination popular imagination teenage girls doesn't make it any less of any of these things Mm -hmm. absolutely (laughs) Uh, and the fact that it's pop doesn't make it any less of any of those things um and also, obviously, like, fans are not limited to that demographic. No, <laughs> not at all. I mean, that yeah. said, I did go to Super N concert and see, like, a maybe 75% female crowd. That was a thing. Uh, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go listen to Fake Love some more now. <laughs>
so yeah, I mean, just in terms of where that like reached or reaches as an endpoint for BTS, like Fake Love as a single that kicks off the is it the second? Sorry, you're, uh, that's just wrong. Um, there are other. There's another main single. Um, uh, what's it? Spring Day. <laughs> yes. Uh, Spring Day is the second single in the Wings cycle, the Wings um, uh, era. And then Love Yourself is when like BTF takes off to the sort of like point at which they're like hitting the top of the like becoming relevant in the American charts. DNA being the like that's the one that cracked the US. <laughs> Yeah, it's when they start running laps around every other group, including EXO, which up until that point was the like. They were matching each other and then. Yeah. The undisputed chart topper. We'll say, yeah. yeah, that's why we called XO BTS pre BTS. Exactly. But yeah, Fake Love is one that I find really interesting as a sort of like post um, Blood, Sweat, and Tears, like revisiting of this tone and this aesthetic and this mode of like interaction, specifically because it copies near full wholesale the, the post bridge interlude for semi narrative purposes. That's like a thing that they very occasionally revisited with um, tracks like on second video has these narrative bits. Um, the the like uh, choreographed like the ballet dance version of Black Swan. I might say <laughs> gestures in that direction, but like fundamentally they're moving gently away from this and towards more just like straight up pop stuff because they've achieved a they've achieved their like goal of like. <laughs> finding the huge Native American audience, the, like, Mm -hmm. authentic American audience that's going to propel them to the top of the charts when they release their English language single. And they just don't need to relate in that way. At the same time, like... That's become a part of what being a BTS fan is. (laughs) Exactly. It's it's become a different thing. It's a different animal. And that's just okay. Um, And the things that maintain that sort of, like, sense of... Again, the texture that we kept coming back to, the, like the idea that like it's not just about the fact that you can like produce a thing that is like referential or deep. It's that there's enough texture for people actually to like find something interesting in it, and that's coming in like solo releases and features and production for other artists, and like they are spreading oh, to to excuse the horrendous reference and pun. They are spreading their wings a little in terms of like oh no. Hey, <laughs> hey. Um, in terms of the focus being like 
if you to engage with BTS as an institution means more than simply just BTS's releases now, which is fine and probably a good thing because they have to lean on the lean on the music lesson, like become a different kind of celebrity, which is just a cool thing to see. Like it's yeah. very unusual um, and very exciting. Yeah. So I guess at this point, let's wrap up discussions of BTS and uh, talk about ourselves because I, do you believe this concludes everything we had planned for this first yeah. season of this project? Series? Season, series, arc, era. Yeah, era. We're <laughs> going with era. It's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, this is the... Um, this is the thing. We had ten episodes. We've made ten episodes. And true to style, we have a Google Sheet full of um, ideas and plans for the next... Um, uh, the like, next set of a... The next oh half of a decade? Uh, half a decade strong. A uh, year? Two years? Two years. <laughs> okay. And um, I think basically we need to take a breather to like assess, reassess what we've done. And um, mm-hmm. uh, like talk, uh, talk through what our plans are. I think there's a huge amount still for us to cover because what we've effectively oh. done, what we've effectively done is try to construct a like genealogy. We've tried to say like, so where is K-pop now? And the answer is BTS. And how do we mm-hmm. get there? And the answer is we've got to talk about the big three. We've got to talk about how we, how people try to attract the US and ultimately end up with that group that isn't from the big three, but that took their sound and that broke the US without doing the thing that everyone else was trying to do while hitting all the, the like important beats for like what makes K-pop textually interesting the way we think it is. What we've left out is like all of the detail, the nitty gritty, the like, um, the, the, I'm just running through the sorts of topics and ideas that we've, um, we've, uh, we've mentioned is important. Um, yeah, I can't believe we've only had one shiny track in there, for example. Hey, but yes. The answers we haven't like, even started talking about Tim and solo work. This is oh clearly incomplete. There hasn't been a single <laughs> NCT. Uh, <laughs> okay, now we're just talking about like what, which groups we stand and want to talk about for you. Yeah, I bring the stand, obviously. Yeah, the stand. There's the stand, and there's the ontology, and we got to somehow reconcile the two. But like at the same time, like high concept in K-pop is a thing that like we brushed over like we've talked about tracks that use it we haven't really talked about tracks that are about their concept we haven't talked about like geopolitics like the fact that Korea is like using k-pop as an export industry to like build its international influence and like center it as the iconic uh, like exporter of asian culture and how that runs into serious problems with like the china and its own attempt to like control and manage this sort of cultural intake that it has from the rest of the world we, we haven't also, talked about oh yeah go we for also it, go haven't it. really we haven't all, we also really haven't unleashed the, the full force of criticism that we could there's the like we could be getting into like a different mode of criticism and discussion which is more like technical yeah. and more re- reference based and more like theoretically laden as well as we could also be getting into subject matter that we have the expertise to like do very particular very like nitty gritty like uh, individual moving parts dives into and i think in terms of um labor in the k-pop industry and gender Mm. in the k-pop industry we could very very easily do that um and that could be a thing that we come back with um and then just in terms of 
other like pieces of the puzzle. Hip hop's relationship to K-pop is very co- complex and like local and specific, as well as like influenced by the ways in which it's interacted with American pop and hip hop over the years. Mm-hmm. And that there's a complex story to tell about like how Korean rap and the K-pop industry's co-option of hip hop have worked and related to each other. There is also like the construction of the group itself, like the 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 we talked about twice and many other groups being formed by competition shows. We've talked yep. about the idea of like TV um the trainee system. Well, I mean, we've talked about like the trainee system. We talked a little bit about EXO and the attempt to manufacture these like massive groups with subunits. And basically, what I'm saying is, we've ended half of these episodes once we turn off the recording by going. So how how does NCT work? And I think we're approaching. I think at least I'm approaching a unified theory of how NCT came to be. Yeah. So that's um, exciting. Again, if we got to explain certain things in K-pop, that seems like an important one. But again, like, how does that relate to an industry that seems allergic to that kind of indistinctness? Or indeed, like, an industry that's, like, produced a bunch of its biggest groups via massive TV competition shows in the last two years. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then on a very personal level, we do at some point need to start talking about mental illness and, like... Again, loss. this yeah. Re- yeah, loss and death in the K-pop industry because it's been a thing. Well, and, that- and also, I mean, even in the more kind of vernacular meaning of criticism, uh, we have talked in, and I think necessarily just as a, because we're doing, honestly, introductory work uh, mm, yeah. throughout the course of this first era, <laughs> um, that we want to kind of start digging into the more meaty kind of critiques of like there are aspects of k-pop that aren't as pretty that probably shouldn't be valorized indeed Um, or indeed there's stuff that doesn't even need to be like high profile that stuff that like we deliberately picked stuff that like fit into the like top of the industry um for uh for a reason we wanted to do that in order to like explain why the like external approach to k-pop is what it is like when you walk into the youtube like if you search for k-pop music videos on youtube what do you what gets surfaced what's visible and apparent to you what do you like get shown by the industry and then like at some level like once you're inside it once you have a like a, a way around it once you can navigate it basically there are all sorts of things that just become evident that like would never be obvious from the outside that like you need the the experience and also the sort of like tactile understanding the sort of like oh once you get an understanding for how these groups work you can see things are happening underneath that um could never have been seen just from that superficial engagement with the music and again like superficial engagement with the music is how we got to bts hell Um, yeah but there are like there's ways of doing critique and criticism that are gonna like sit underneath the the sort of like ways in which we approach the next series of episodes so that i think is what you've got look to look forward to yeah feel free to shoot us questions i guess we'll, we'll try to get to them as best we can uh through the medium of twitter we are at stan ontology you can find very me easy at, to find <laughs> you can find me at twitter at regression with three s's mm-hmm and I am at Claudia W Y L O. Uh, Sick. 
spelled exactly how you think. Although I say this now, I have had people mis- misspell my last name by adding too many letters to it. Ah. It's that... L-O, all right? It's L- two letters. L-O. I'm it's not g- simple. I'm not German. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Understood. Yeah. Nice. I guess this has been the first era of Stan Ontology. That really has. It's been a pleasure and we'll be back soon enough. Ooh, I... as a little as a little bonus treat, we will chuck in a live reaction episode as episode ten point five. You've got that to look oh forward god, to. Oh god, that that you forgot time about that, didn't you? We listened to oh, my brain has been working very hard to wipe it from my memory. <laughs> but, uh, it's there. Um, it's right. there. Um, but with that, that has been era one of Stan Ontology. We look forward to welcoming you, welcoming you back, wings like, into era two. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> <laughs>